episode 41 is upon us, and I was lucky enough to be joined by one of the baddest dudes with a camera, Will Harris of Will Harris Productions. And Will is making a name for himself in the videography, cinematography world, there's no doubt, especially when it comes to the MMA cinematography world and documentary series. Anatomy of a Fighter, you may have heard of it, and if you haven't, please go check it out on YouTube. Google search it, Anatomy of a Fighter. Uh, Will was the guy behind the camera during the infamous Conor McGregor bus attack. He uh, recently returned from a trip to Dagestan uh, in Russia, was following around Khabib Nurmagomedov and his camp and his life and his friends and family. And uh, Will's, uh, Will's everywhere, and he's just on fire right now and if you like uh mma and behind the scenes kind of stuff then you should definitely check him out and uh, he sheds light into a lot of different things in this episode a lot of inspiration a lot of insight into the industry a lot of insight into his mindset what's made him, made him successful his sacrifices his work ethic etc etc so without further ado sit back relax and welcome the one and only will harris the optimal life that's one of the best things you can do for your body is, is swimming. I mean, what where do what uh what kind of swim program are you doing? No, I just freestyle swim, man, for an hour. Nice. Um, I do a little bit of water aerobics with my arms and legs, just doing some stretches and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, but other than that, I just swim, man. I, I genetically have a body frame that people dream about, so I can't complain. You used to play uh, college basketball D one, correct? Yeah, I went to uh, Indiana State, and I went to the University of Southern Indiana uh, with Bruce Pearl, and uh, had a successful college career. I tore my ACL my second year in, but uh, like going into my sophomore year, but you know I recovered from that. But it was hard. Um, but yeah, I did well. I did. How, very how, well. how tall are you? Six foot five. Six five. Okay. Yeah, so that injury kind of uh, that injury kind of shifted your your career plans. Huh? I, I assume no, you. Ha- I didn't, it didn't shift anything. Uh, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing with my career in college. You know, I bought a camera in college, took an intro film to one on one class, and I said, "Well, if basketball never work out, I know I'm going to make a lot of money doing film because life is all about passion. And if you find a passion and you stick to it, I knew you're always going to prevail at it." So. I think I the only thing that I knew about film was it's not easy to have a career in this at all. Like 90-something percent of people can't sustain a living trying to do film. So for me, I'm blessed that I figured it out, you know? When you, say you, fig- when you say you figured it out, what, what did you do to figure it out, and how did you know at such a young age that that's where you were going? Well, I don't think, like, 18 or 19 is a young age, but... Uh, I do. I just, I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to explain it, man. It, it just, it's weird. Like, I, I pretty much, uh, like, just pick, picked up a camera, kind of, you know, had a professor at the time that was a huge wedding videographer in uh, New York. New York, that's what he used to do before he went into pro- being a professor. And he told me how much money they made. Like, wedding videographers, he was like, oh, man, you know, Jewish weddings, this, that, and that. You can make $100,000 a year. I just remember 100000 because I never knew anyone at the time that made that type of money. Like, I looked at that as, like, 
presidents or something like that. So when he said you can make a hundred thousand dollars doing with a camera, I was like, huh? And that's what triggered in my mind because I was just like, you know what? You know, I want a career where I can, you know, travel and do what I want, but at the same time make a lot of money. So it was kind of like that. And then after basketball, because I played basketball professionally for about four years. And after I realized that I wasn't going to make a a living with that, I I switched my mind to film. That's great, man. Uh, that's really uh, incredible because I got to tell you, man, at 18 or 19 years old, I really had not a clue what I wanted to do with my life. So, yeah, most people don't. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I agree. And you should it, though. Like, you should in at 18, 19. You should in at 21. You should, like, you should live your college. My co- I always tell people, college ain't meant to prep you for the real world. College is meant to mature you enough to be able to socialize with people from all backgrounds. That's exactly. what college did for me. Yeah. You know, I came from Southern Illinois, um, small town, 20-some thousand people, but it was very diverse because of a university there. So I got along with a lot of people. So I was, and, and when I when I was a basketball player in high school, I was a star athlete in the state of Illinois. So I was mature above my years because I was always trying to date older i was trying to date college girls and stuff like that when i was 16 17 so i was always on the college campus so i was witty enough to always be around older people and i just realized like when you when you're in college man it's all about having fun and socializing that's what i did when i was in college i made i made the most great point hey are you on a speakerphone now because it just got a little bit uh staticky yeah hold on let me take you off can you hear me now yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a good po- <clears throat> that's a good point um, about the uh, about the college thing. And I've had that discussion with plenty of people on this before on this on this podcast. Even is that college really is um, it's a stepping stone into adulthood, and it's it, and it's less about you know yeah the paper's great and I and I'm I'm not bashing college at all. I've I've said this many times. I, I went to college. I graduated college. I went to law school graduated law school um i think it's a great stepping stone especially if you need it to go into like a further education like law or medicine or those kind of things but i know so many people man that come out of college four or five years later and 150,000 200,000 in debt and 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 have no opportunities out there and and if you're just going into like a a random major that you're not going to be able to turn it into a career it's a tough it's a tough thing to sell me on man because there's so many well, ways to make money now. Exactly. And, and I joke sometimes and I'm just like, uh, when I meet like a girl or something, and I'm like, oh, do you live, like, who do you live with? Oh, I live with my roommate. And I'm like, oh, you must have went to college because <laughs> you're in debt. Like, you know, it's like, exactly. because I feel like, I, luckily for me, like I went to school on an athletic scholarship for four, five years because I registered one year. So I never had to worry about paying tuition. But um, I had a roommate, my roommate, Michael Arnold, from Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. Uh, He was my roommate for four years. And he had student loans after student loans after student loans. And I I, I used to just look at it. And he ended up getting a scholarship his last year just because of hard work. But I was just like, man, this is crazy, like, to be paying for school. Like, when it's not going to do anything for you. And no offense to college. I I have two degrees. So... Hmm. Ain't nobody saying nothing to me. I I majored, two, uh, I double majored in five years, so I yeah, I got my my diplomas, but I they were worthless to me 
because even <laughs> in, in my film degree, yeah. uh, I learned all of that stuff post-college from YouTube, from trial and error, from Vimeo, from watching my favorite filmmakers online, Phillip Bloom, and people like that. Like, that's how I learned. Like, because I always try to tell people, listen, film is, it's, it's, it's like a, being a, a writer. Like, it's embedded in you. Storytelling is embedded in you. You can't teach film. You can't teach the ability to see things a certain way. Like, some people just naturally have it. It's the reason why I can shoot a video and the turnaround time can be in an hour or the next day. Uh, like, I, I'm a full production team when it's only just me because I just know what I'm doing. Like, so I didn't develop that in college. Like, so, I don't know, it, it's to each their own. Like I said, like, if if, if I if I dropped everything I'm doing today, like, and I wanted to go get a, a job or a career or something, I could because I actually have the experience uh, of traveling the world and, and doing so many different things, and and I still have college degrees. So yeah. I feel like it could be a ploy. Tell, you know, it's a lot of successful people telling you college don't matter, and then all of a sudden with the way the country is and you need a college diploma for everything. That's the way they can just separate people quickly. You don't have a college diploma. Right. Let's get you out of here immediately. So I'm glad I got one at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely the stigma uh, attached with it or the reputation that comes with it. And, and that's a big part of it. But like you said, it's the technologies now. I mean, look, look at look at how you just said you learned. You learned by throwing yourself into it, going online, studying people. Sure. That stuff yeah, wasn't 100%. there twenty. That stuff wasn't there twenty years ago. So there's no, so many 100%. things now. I, yeah. You know, my last ever job I ever had was March third, two thousand eleven. I never forget the date. I was working at Earl Brown Elementary School in Minneapolis. Uh, actually, it was like Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, but it's the Minneapolis area. It was like negative twenty something degrees. Uh, outside uh windshield and i had to go to work and i was just like man i was just living in australia playing basketball i'm in minnesota how did i end up here going <laughs> to work i don't even have a coat yeah. like a winter coat and at that point i was kind of depressed i went through the after after sports i went through depression and denial for probably like a year and a half because you know i was living out in california san diego for about a good four years after uh, sports and you know i was just living my life partying still in shape still got six pack eight pack so you know i was easy to get girls and stuff like that but after that that honeymoon effect wears off you realize like damn i ain't got shit to offer this girl that girl realized you ain't got nothing to offer her so then she's her her them text messages stopped replying them phone calls start coming then you thinking like damn i gotta get my shit together so you try jobs you try this job you try that job and then I ended up landing at that school because, you know, I had, a, you know, best friends in Minneapolis, Minnesota area, had a, a cousin that played for the Timberwolves. So I was up in that area just trying to figure it out. And um, I had that job. And at that time, the Canon, Canon 5D Mark II was pretty popular. It was used in a lot of Hollywood films. It's this small DSLR camera that everybody was talking about. But it was so expensive, I couldn't afford it. So I was just like, man, my dream is to just get one of those cameras, try to start shooting videos, some type of video. It wasn't even about money. Like, I didn't even get into this for money. So what happened was that day, on that wind chill day, I, I, something happened with uh, a student that I was, because I, I was like a detention behavior uh, assistant. So I, like, monitor kids' behavior. Like, the kid that I disciplined, 
his mother was a kindergarten teacher, so she went and complained to the principal, Randy Cook, who's my god, uh, that I was uh, being a, like mean to her kid and I shouldn't discipline her kid that way. And, and her kid was bad as hell. So I had to have a group meeting with the teacher, which is the parent of the kid that I was disciplining and the principal after school. And something told me, I was like, this is my life. Like, this this girl is the same age as me, not more accomplished than me. And I'm in here defending my job because her kid is bad as hell. So as soon as the, he was like, yeah, so we got to find a solution. I was like, listen, Randy, I quit. And she was looking at me like, whoa, I didn't want you to quit. I was like, nah, I quit because I said, listen, I can't work with people. I just can't. Like, it's just not in my nature to just work and take orders from people that I feel like are not more qualified than me in any job. No offense to anyone. So I quit. Uh, Randy asked me what I was going to do. I said, I don't know, but I'm going to buy this camera. Uh, It was right after income tax. I said, I'm going to buy this camera and I'm going to figure it out. At that time, I had already written uh, uh, short films. I had written a short film called Double Life, which was about, uh, you know, it was basically a, a story of like a man coming home. It looked like he's coming home from a gym and looked like he's having an affair on his wife. Uh, but at the same time, his wife was having an affair on him. Like So it's yeah. like this this double entendre film. It, the whole time, I wanted the audience to think like, this piece of shit guy, this nice family that he's ruining, right? Typical man, but it was actually that the damn wife that was cheating the that's whole interesting time, you know? that's cool yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it was called double life so i remember randy cook uh i read him that and he was just like man that's pretty deep so when i told him i quit and i told him what i was doing he was like man please just do me a favor he was like make that film double life right he was like whatever you do one day make that film so that was just so i've never even heard of a story like that and uh he fired me he said another thing i'm gonna do i'm gonna fire you today I was like, what you mean you're going to fire me? He said, so you can get unemployment. And I was like, oh, shit. So Randy Cook looked out for me so I could, you know, survive off unemployment for about five, six months. And when he did that, I moved to California, man, and that's what started the film career. Wow, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Have you ever ever done anything with Double Life? Nah, man, I uh, ended up doing another one. Uh, called Marvin's Room that was similar. I just changed the name, but I shot it, and it was it's a, it was similar like that. But nice. That was the, that's the thing about film, man. It's uh, you just get to do what you want to do. Like you know, now I'm at the point in my career and so successful, I could go shoot a award winning short film right now if I wanted to. Like literally today, I got all the equipment in my house. I got all the camera equipment. I got my brain. I got actors. I could just go shoot a film and then put it online and it could possibly get you famous. That's the beautiful thing about technology today. Yeah, a couple of things there to take away. Obviously, you've always been creative. Uh, that's that's clear. You always had a creative appetite based upon even just the way that you were thinking of... Of that, of that story, of that film, that double life thing that you put together uh, as you were working in something completely not within your... No, nothing that you were passionate about. Um, and then the other thing is, is the... Uh, is not getting caught up in that rut, man, which is, it's amazing that you were able to to really recognize that so quickly. Like, hey, wait a second. This is not for me. I'm not even going to start going down this path. I'm basically quitting before I even start because you realize, hey, I can't work for somebody. I got to use my creative juices. 
And I think what a lot of people end up doing is the complete opposite. They, they find a little security blanket, regardless of what it is. It's not their passion. That's the majority of people. They, they just they find that little rat race, that security blanket, the nine to five, working for a, a miserable boss or, and their coworkers suck. And, and they get stuck in it, man, for literally their entire life. I, listen, when I quit my job, man, guess how much money I had in my bank account? I probably I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you practically had nothing. I had twenty dollars mm-hmm. and I had a check coming. You know, I always I did a, a documentary on homelessness and I found out that seven out of ten Americans are one paycheck away from being homeless. Seven out of ten. So you look at seven out of ten Americans are one paycheck because most people live paycheck to paycheck. If they miss a paycheck or something happened, they got to go do a payday loan. And we know what happens when you do a payday loan. I've done plenty of them in my life. Um, and I thank God when I found a law that they were illegal, I stopped paying them shits. They never got their money back. But at the same time, uh, that's the reality of most people. So when I quit, I didn't have a safety blanket. And that's why I try to tell people all the time. Sometimes you got to just jump off the ledge. Right, hey, exactly. No, no life raft, no nothing. I don't come from a family that got money. I come from Carbondale, Illinois. Whoever's going to listen to this, Google this. The average household median income for families where I'm from, where I grew up, $16,000 a year for families. That's insane. Poor. That's insane. I made that last month. You see what I'm saying? So, to me, like, I didn't have a safety blanket. I couldn't say, Mom, could you let me borrow $1,000, $2,000 so I can move into a place and, you know, survive. I don't have a father that was around that pops i need a loan you know exactly moms give you money pops will loan you some money right mm-hmm. so i uh i didn't have none of that i didn't have anything none of that but i knew one thing i didn't even have faith in what i was gonna do i didn't think like i'm gonna make make it in what i'm doing i knew i just knew what i wanted to do see that's the difference just because you think you want to be a filmmaker or a singer or an actor doesn't mean you're gonna be successful that just means you want to do it. Like, what separates you from everybody else is how hard are you gonna, are you willing to sacrifice to get what you want? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I was willing to sacrifice everything. Yeah. And it was yep. easy for me because I was living out of a suitcase anyway. Uh, I didn't have kids. I didn't have a girlfriend. Um, you know, I'm 37 now. And a lot of people are like, why aren't you married with kids? Because I was like, for the longest I didn't have shit to offer myself. Why would I try to get in a relationship? <laughs> shit, exactly. $60 on a date? I need that. Yeah. Like, yep. if I couldn't convince you to come home to my house, <laughs> like, to hang out, I'm not taking you out. I can't afford that. And I was prideful enough to, or I, I would guess, uh, comfortable enough with myself to tell a woman that. Like, shit, I, I'm, I'm cool. Oh, it's too expensive today. So, yeah. Yeah, you want man. you want that you, you want that McDonald's Happy Meal? I'm happy to take you. Yeah, 100. Kind of one of those things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, everything is about risk, man. And I took a huge risk. Um, would I take that same risk today? Hell yeah. Um, but I have confidence in myself. I'm lucky. I was a top athlete. I was a rare athletic freak that lived off his athletic talent and his hard work for most of his life. So I had that, if you could say, cocky, confident. So when it came to 
this career, it was just competitive. I'm already, I've been competitive all my life. Like, yeah. I, mean, I never forget, I reached out to a, lot, a couple filmmakers online that I looked up to, like, locally when I first started. Asking them questions like, yo, man, can I get your advice on what camera to use, what lens to use? They ignored me. I never forget those days. They ignore me. You know, on Facebook, you can see who read your message or, you know, they right. didn't reply. Right, right. And I never, I never forget that. I was like, you know what? They're going to they gonna regret that one day. Yep. Within a year, or I say two years, within two years, those guys that the whole city was talking about at the time, they were in my DM asking me, could I watch their rap videos to tell me what I think about Because I surpassed go. them. There you quick. go. There you go. Yeah. So, that's the thing. It's like, don't never let nobody, uh, like, downplay your 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 journey, your success, what you want to be. Um, because there's a lot of people protecting their egos with stuff. Like, it's kids that email me every day about camera advice. I give it to them. Nice. That's not going to jeopardize my career. Right. Like, I mean, it's, you know, I... I might need to hire your ass one day. I can't do all these jobs I get hired for all the time, and I pay very well. My camera guy, you know. Yeah, well, you're so, secure with you're secure with who you are. You're secure with your capabilities. Most people in this society, they just uh, like you said, it's ego driven, and they don't want to help. They're very protective of their own because they're insecure of their own. Um, that's really what it comes down to, man. And, and you know what? It's those people are needed in order to fuel the fire of people like you and I. Because yeah, if you if you use it to fuel the fire and say I'm going to prove you motherfuckers wrong, you're going to end up it's going to end up sticking with you like it did for you. One hundred, one hundred percent, man. Yeah. Listen, there, there's not a day that goes by now that I just don't reminisce um, because you know one one of my good friends, uh, Michael Chandler, Bellator fighter, he said on the Joe Rogan podcast that I love this quote, and I and I had sent it to him when I was listening to him. It was like. No one ever is going to really pat you on your back these days. Remember, we came from an era where we celebrated greatness. Like, Michael Jordan was great. We Everybody knew it. We loved him. Everybody wanted to be Mike. Now people hate LeBron James because he's so good. Like, they trying to find a way to downplay this man's career because he's that good. Yeah. So, yeah. but Mike Chandler, back to Mike Chandler, he was like, listen, he read a book, and I forgot the name of the book. But he was just like, it reminded him to always uh, celebrate his his successes. Like, remind yourself of how far you came. Yeah. Don't constantly beat yourself up like the next journey, the next victory. Like, I just got back from Dagestan, Russia. No one in the history of MMA combat in America, pup like companies, like TV companies, production companies, that ever went over there. They've never wanted to go over there. It's not... A place that you think I'm gonna just go to Dagestan, like you go to, you get to the passport control. They gonna say, "Where are you going?" So for me, for <laughs> yeah. me to go over there with be and be the first person ever, you gotta understand. I started Anatomy of a Fighter channel August 2017. It ain't been a year, and in a year, I done went from creating a channel that I originally was just gonna be a documentary. I was gonna just make a documentary for online or put it on Netflix. And now it's turned into a brand to seven months later after creating it. I'm in Dagestan, Russia with possibly the greatest fighter ever at lightweight. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about that, obviously. First off, back to your buddy uh, Chandler. I, I listened to most of that. He did a phenomenal job on Rogan's yeah, podcast. He did. That was actually a really entertaining one. Um, and then back to you now. So 
you went over to uh, you just got back from Dagestan. Let's talk about that because I first came across you uh, really from that man, the Anatomy of a Fighter videos, and um, and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, man, because I love watching Embedded. I've been watching UFC yeah. Embedded videos for a few years, and you mentioned Embedded actually earlier in this podcast how things are embedded into your system, and I was going to bring up Embedded anyways. Um, and I thought, and I saw your videos, and I'm going. Damn man, this is to the same quality as embedded. I was like, this is pretty cool shit. And we and I, I think I found you guys when you were doing that that the whole infamous bus incident, which we'll get which we'll get to. But talk about how you um, got involved with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and how you ended up getting out to Russia to film the documentary with those guys. Well, I'm at, this is another thing about just believing in yourself. So last June, of 2017. Uh, I was, you know, at that point, I was already starting to film Anatomy of a Fighter, a documentary. You know, I started off with the Black Zillions out in South Florida. So, you know, I was around the Michael Johnsons, the Rumbles, the Rashad Evans, the Vulcan Holdemir, like the Henry Hoost. Like, right. those was my guys instantly. But after a while, I was like, you know what? I need to get out. Like, this film, I don't want this film just to be about these guys in Florida. I need to, you know, spread my wings. And, you know, it was a lot of other people saying, yo, you need to get some other fighters you know, in this film. So I I just I decided to, to pack my bags up and move to Vegas for the summer. I said, listen, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna just move to Vegas. I didn't know anybody in the UFC. I didn't know Dana White. I didn't know nobody. Uh, no contacts. But I'm gonna move to Vegas because I, I knew my ta- my talent and I know the kind of product that I had. At, like I said, at this point, there's no channel created yet. There's just a word of mouth. Oh, I'm doing this film called Natty Mill Fighter. There's no trailer. There's no nothing. So um, I moved out there to, uh, to Vegas. And uh, Rashad Evans called me and said, oh, you need to uh, reach out to my boy Ali Abdelaziz. He said, uh, you need to just film him on his story. He didn't tell me like he has a lot of fighters. He was just like, you need to. I'm going to get you in contact with him. So he got he got me his number. He texted me. He said, hey, uh, Henzo Gracie is coming to town this week if you want to interview him about your film. I know who Henzo Gracie is. I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to take an opportunity. But I didn't take an opportunity to say I'm going to put him in my film. I said, if I film Henzo Gracie and then I show these people what I can do, it's a wrap. So I filmed him. Uh, for do like a little day in the life with Henzo Gracie and Ali. They went to, you know, Cabrinha, uh, Jiu-Jitsu. I filmed them. Next day, I got video up. They like, how the hell did you edit that that fast? Why is this quality like that? And then it was a wrap. Me and Ali created our relationship off that. We nice. went through the whole summer. I, I filmed so many people during the summer. I was able to get access to Connor during the Floyd Mayweather stuff. Like, it's just so much in a so, so little time. But then uh, this past January uh, in Boston, I was filming Vulcan Ozdemir fight with uh, Daniel Cormier. Like, that's my purpose in Boston. Week before that, I was in uh, St. Louis with Michael Johnson and Kamara Uzman. But Ali had hit me up and said, hey, Khabib is coming to town uh, to do, like, uh, you know, go to the fight, do some appearances if you want to film him. Like, I want you to meet Khabib. That's how me and Khabib met, and that's... You know, if people go to my channel and they see, you know, UFC 220 and they see Khabib in there, that's when I first met Khabib. So that was this January. Wow. So I went from meeting Khabib in January yeah. to uh, April, him winning a belt, the first ever. 
to being in Dagestan in June. That's a crazy Damn, year so Damn, far with Khabib. Yeah. But real quick, uh, the, the uh, Usman and, and uh, Covington, that thing, were you the one filming that behind the scenes? Yeah, I was there. Backstage? Yeah, I filmed that too. Yeah, so that was, was that, that at that time early this year? That was at uh, 223. That was the day after the Connor yeah. incident. Okay. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I kept the camera rolling the whole time. Like, I seen the energy. I saw Kobe Covington looking down at his phone, <laughs> and I saw Kamal yeah. walking in, and I said, let yeah. me turn here it go. on just in case. Yeah, here we go. You, so talk about that, man. When you're when you're that close to the activity and the action, and you could feel the tension in the air, man, what is it like holding the camera and catching a moment like that? All right, what, what are the thoughts that are going through your head at that point? Well, you know what's crazy is how I'm able to catch a lot of that stuff because these people are comfortable with me. I had to develop that. Like, it was weird at first doing this shit. Like, pointing the camera at these fighters' face. They didn't know who I was. Like, i never forget. I, pers- I first came in the gym and Henry Hoof was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, of course. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, who are you? Like, yeah. who are you with a camera filming us? So, I think I built the relationship over the past three years. Because it's, it's been almost three years now just being around fighters. That they know me. Like, everybody knows me. Hey, that's Will. That's the Natty Miller fighter. You know, that's him. So when I, if I start recording stuff, they just know, they know what, first of all, the product, what it's going to look like. And then at the same time, they don't know I'm there. I'm literally a fly on the wall. So it's just, I just know, you know, everybody. I'm not special. Everybody can feel when something's about to go down. <laughs> like, you just can see it. Uh, the same thing that happened with the Connor and the Khabib's is situation. You know, we was just leaving the, the you know, media day, and I just wanted to film, like, it, what was crazy about that was I wanted to film the bus just backing up to close the episode. I was like, I need to close it for the episode. <laughs> little did and you know what you were about to get little into. Little did I know. Yeah. But yeah. 1,000% everybody thought it was Khabib fans because I'd never seen fans like that. Listen, Connor is the most popular person in UFC. There's no question about it. But I don't think he is. The love that people got for Khabib is unheard of. Like, people, fandom, Connor has fandom, casual fans. Khabib has loyal armies. You see what I'm saying? So, to me, I'm like, man, this is the craziest superhero fight in history, right, that's going to happen. Because uh, when I saw Connor uh, and that those people run on the bus, I thought it was fans, but then I seen Connor big-ass head, and I said, that's Connor. I didn't say it to nobody. I just started filming him running around the bus. And when I seen him grab the dolly, I'm thinking, he ain't finna throw that. But I'm a, but he was running straight for me. I said, I don't give a fuck if it hits me. Don't move because it's going to be the most epic shot in UFC history. And it is. <laughs> if, if someone can tell me another uh, shot that's more epic than that in the history of the UFC, please tell me. Hey, man, listen, anyone that hasn't seen this, go Google it. Go YouTube it. Anatomy of a Fighter, Conor McGregor. You, I mean, I watched that whole thing. Your, your footage of it, Will, is the uh, most intimate, raw footage that you could see of the entire incident unfolding. That episode you did with the Khabib and Ali on the bus and the guys and Kiesa's uh, head, you know, bleeding from the face. And I mean, the shit that you were able to get. Are you doing all this by yourself or are you with somebody? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, when, when I read the comments, you know, it's flattering when I see people like, man, I appreciate y'all. And I'm like, y'all, it's just me. It's yeah. one person. And that even a fighter is Will Harris Productions at Instagram. Will Harris Productions. 
by myself. I'm editing by myself. Embedded don't understand the people, the producers at Embedded don't know how I do it. Yeah. Like they, when I was just in uh, Chile with Camaro, they had to, UFC had to ask me, it's like, who is here with you? Like, who does the edit? And I'm like, me. They're like, how? That's not possible. And I'm like, it is because I'm already storytelling as I film. That's one thing I did pick up in school was your ability to create scenes before you even put them together. Right. So, so that's what's easy about it. But yeah, it's just me, man. It's, that's uh, amazing, I man. Right, I was sitting next to Ray Borg. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the crazy thing. I know these people though. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm comfortable with Ray Borg because I've already filmed him before. I was with Kiesa all week filming him. And then I, I know Trevor Whitman with Rose. And I was, I just interviewed uh, Pat Berry. So, right. I'm in this little circle of people that's comfortable with Will pointing the camera in their face. So, when this happened, I'm able to film everything. That's why Kiesa is like, hey, did you get that? Did you get it? Like, Damn, you know what I'm saying? Man. Because... It's, it's, it was a weird situation, man. Honestly, I got offered so much money to sell that footage. Uh, like, oh, I'm sure. Like, the Dublin Media was calling me, like, offering me a lot of money, yeah. I guess, to get rid of it, right? Because um, remember, I had put a trailer out, a teaser, um, before I released the episode. And then, but as soon as I got back to my hotel, the UFC was calling my phone, talking about they need that footage. Oh, yeah. So, I get... I gave it, but they didn't want to take it. They just said, we want to use it for embedded. Right. And uh, me being a team player, because I could have easily been like, no. Nah. Uh, I gave it, I gave them the shot. That's the reason why that thumbnail of embedded is Connor, or that little ugly thumbnail of Connor's <laughs> mom footage. Yeah, did, uh, did you, were you scared? Were you scared for your safety? Were you scared for your safety at all through any of that, or, or not really? Nah, man, no. I wasn't. I mean, if, if there was like, now, after going to Dagestan, if that was Khabib's people on the bus, I'd have been scared. But <laughs> Connor people, after seeing when he went to court and seeing the guy that was with him and stuff, I was thinking like, man, he'd get his ass beat. First of all, I, know, I, I always tell this to all these fighters, especially Kamaro, because that's like my brother. Listen, bro, I, I will never in my life think I can beat one of y'all up in this octagon. But damn on this street, I'm not going to ever sit here and admit that one of y'all going to whoop me. Not with all the weapons and things that I could pick up. So uh, they yeah. can take that through the door. So, no, nah, I wasn't scared, man. I, I come from an area where people, I done seen people get shot, blown their heads off. I ain't worried about uh, somebody trying to come on that bus. We had Latifi, Khabib, uh, Al Aquinta, yeah. like Pat Berry. Yeah, you think no, they wanted to come on that bus? They would have died. Yeah, I mean, you, had, you, had, Ray Borg, yeah, you had a Ali. bunch of fighters on the bus. Yeah, yeah like yeah. what? <laughs> Um, so real quick, man, before we finish off, talk about your trip to Dagestan. Uh, anything that you that, that really stuck out to you, and, and and what's Khabib's training like? Um, Dagestan was a a life changing experience. Not just because uh, I went to a place that I didn't, you know, I haven't been before. I I just feel like honestly, I wanted to go to Dagestan and really live the, the Muslim culture like Khabib lived it. Like, I didn't want to go like as an American and just be like, oh, I'm just visiting Russia and it's a place called Dagestan in Russia. No, I wanted to eat their food. I wanted to uh, fast while they were fasting during Ramadan. I did all of that. You know, it wasn't a regular toilet where I stayed. It was a hole in the, the floor. Oh, my God, that was just wow. crazy wow. to me. I didn't have warm water to shower. Uh 
the whole week, but not, I embrace it. I just said, hell, I'm going to just take cold showers. You know, we went to the countryside where his village is, where he have a village house. Then the last day we went to the, the mountains that was like four hours away. It was the scariest death, death hike you will ever in your life encounter. But more importantly, they're respectful women. Like, you know, I never understood the whole women covering up and, you know, things like that, especially in a warm climate. But when they explained it to me, when Khabib and his friends explained that to me, how they treat their women like queens and they're only for their eyes, I understood that. Because we come, I come from a culture where you go on Instagram, you see every naked girl from 18 to 40, you know, showing off their bodies for who? For who? Likes? So for me... Right. Um, so yeah, uh, you're you're saying it's just just from what what you saw over there was just absolutely uh, uh, it's like a different world, huh? Listen, man, when I first announced I was going to Dagestan, I had fighters, I had people in my DMs on Instagram telling me, "Please be safe, please be safe." This that I'm like, they scaring the shit out of me. I'm thinking like, where the hell am I going? Like, have y'all been there? Like, you know? Right. Um, I was arriving. The scariest thing about going to Dagestan was knowing I was landing at 2 in the morning and hoping somebody was there to pick me up. That was it for me. And wow. Khabib, is, Khabib is like Michael Jordan over there. Not <laughs> LeBron, not Kobe. He's Michael Jordan. Yeah. So he's a martyr type fame, you know? Um, his story his story is bigger than the UFC, 26 yeah. and 0. Yeah. He's he legendary in the streets. Like, that's crazy. Like, he's legend. He's a legend for his street record of fighting. Yep. That's what's crazy about Khabib. And the way he's adopted the Muslim culture and the traditions and how respectful he is, yet a savage in that cage, man. So it's, it's, he, being around him will make you a better person. And I swear I'll be lying if I, I didn't say I came back a different person after wow. leaving Dagestan. Like, I am a completely, the way I, especially the way I, I view, like, trying to pick a, a partner in life yeah like you know yeah. like a woman having respect for herself and things like that and how you carry yourself his relationship with his friends his childhood like from when they were kids like like how strong they bond is like it's it's the craziest thing to see and then it's the way they train like the like it's like they are werewolves to me like they it just i just honestly i, I told khabib in his face I interviewed him and said, listen, I love Connor's story. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got that on camera. Like, I'm not one of these biased people. Like, I'm a Connor fan too, right? Right. I don't think Connor got a damn chance in hell to beat this guy after being around this dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't dude, disagree if, with you, man. I don't disagree with you. I mean, he's going to have to take him to the ground. Um, but I think he'll be able to pretty easily. But I mean, based upon the way Connor fought Chad Mendez, which was obviously several years oh back. Oh my but, God! Uh, hopefully, you know. uh, that's a different Connor. Listen, yeah, Connor I think so. Had a knee injury though. He had an ACL mm-hmm. from his movie. You could tell from that, and he still won yeah. But honestly, this is the thing. This is my only thing. I say, has Khabib? Who's hit Khabib and stumbled him like Kevin Lee got just got done? Like he's never had chicken legs or water legs, like. Everybody talk about the Michael Johnson punch. That Michael is my brother. Like that wasn't no punch. He hit Khabib and Khabib kept coming forward trying to grab him. Yeah, it was a it was a quick stun. It was nothing crazy. No, it was the Joe Rogan gas, and Joe Rogan admits that he always does that because Khabib is so unstoppable. He has to find ways to make it inciting. Oh my God, he's hurt. 
Like, yeah. he wasn't hurt. Khabib laughed about that, and, I, and I'm going to actually release that in the next few days about Khabib talking about that incident because it's just so funny. So what's um, your prediction, man? Because that's going to be the biggest fight in UFC history. It's undoubtedly going to happen. That's the path they're going yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, talk about real quickly. Give us your prediction on that fight. Um, if if Connor doesn't knock him out like a flash, you know, Buster Douglas. Oh my God! Like a Jose Aldo, me. like a Jose Aldo kind of thing. One of those like that. Yeah. Connor has no chance on Earth, and mm-hmm. I'm just saying that right now. Like he doesn't have a chance on Earth, man. That's a different breed of a human. Like after being in the mountains with these guys, seeing how they live and how like how savage that is to me. Like, nobody's, you have to knock him out. Like, you're not going to beat him in a decision. No, you're not. He's not. I totally agree and with he, you. I totally agree. So, yeah, he's going to He's gonna have to stay, find a way to stay back, man. I mean, Connor's good at, at, at moving back and, and punching. But he's going to have to find a way to really stay out of that reach of the uh, takedown. That takedown, listen, that's it. That's he it. told me his game plan yeah. uh, the, when, uh, the fight. And, uh, like, I know it. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to tell it. But it's it just shows me him and his father and Javier Mendez knows what they're doing. Yeah. Connor has no chance in hell. Like, because if if he sticks to the game plan that he told me, this is a brutal fight. Oh, it's gonna be a very tough fight for Connor. There's no doubt about it. It's gonna be the biggest fight in, in UFC history. I mean it's gonna be 100%. absolutely it it and, could push two million well, you know plus uh, pr- pay per views probably. You yeah. know what's funny about that? Yeah. You know they're gonna use the bus incident in, in the build up. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt and about it. What footage is that? Ooh, my. Will Harris can Productions, baby. Print? Will Harris Productions, man. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, Everything. Everything is Will Harris Productions. Uh, my Instagram, my Facebook. Perfect. Uh, you know, my Twitter is at the Will Harris. I, I mean, who really uses Twitter, but I, I still have it. I don't. I use it. I can't stand Twitter. But Instagram, man, honestly, uh, thank, thanks, thanks to Khabib. You know, I went over to Dagestan. I went from... 6,000 followers to 11,000. I was like, nice. ooh, I'm in the tens now. It's yeah. pretty cool. Just off a week. I can't imagine what what is going to go to during the Connor week because obviously I'm going to be covering Khabib and all that stuff going on. So, Amen, brother. Yeah, man. Yep. It's been a whirlwind, man. It's been a whirlwind. I still haven't, uh, you know, gotten adjusted back to, but... You know, <laughs> Hey, listen, man. Welcome back home and uh, continued success to you, man. I'll be watching your videos. They're fantastic. Again, folks, check them out. Anatomy of a Fighter, Will Harris Productions. Undoubtedly, uh, you're just getting started, my friend. So wishing you all the best and we'll we'll stay in touch. Uh, Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. The Optimal Life. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Optimal Life. Really appreciate the support. And uh, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to and enjoy what you're hearing, as always, please click subscribe and give us the five-star rating so we can continue to elevate the podcast within Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that the podcast is played and provided. And uh, leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. You could, uh, we're always open to feedback, whether it's positive or negative. So uh, you know, we want to do whatever we can to improve the show. And if there's something that we're missing, then let us know. You could reach me also on Instagram at Nathan Haber. And uh, again, I know that you have a lot of listening options these days. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people sharing different things. So if you are listening to this podcast and if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Uh, very grateful for that. And uh, we're going to continue providing you guys with the best content possible so that we can continue to live an optimal life and be our optimal and best selves. 
Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.